Welcome to Just Go Grind, a show that focuses on helping you launch and grow a business and navigate the ups and downs of entrepreneurship. I'm your host, Justin Gordon, and in this episode, we have Zach Adamson, who's the founder of Divert Brands, the parent company of two subsidiaries, both of which have one unified purpose, to break down the barriers to action sports for at-risk inner-city youth as a platform for creativity, self-discovery, and passion in order to help them achieve their I'm possible. In this episode, we talk about a wide variety of topics, including Divert Sessions, which is their pop-up attraction. They launched during COVID, obviously a time where many companies have had to pivot. Divert pivoted as well. We talk through that and why they decided to go the crowdfunding route with Divert Sessions. The preparation that went into raising $500,000 in 10 days on WeFunder and why they decided to go with WeFunder in the first place, the unique terms they have with their WeFunder campaign, how Zach has gone about building the team at Divert, how they look at going into new markets and especially during this COVID time, how they're looking to expand. And you can invest in Divert through their equity crowdfunding campaign on WeFunder. Just head over to WeFunder.com slash Divert. That's WeFunder.com slash D-I-V. E-R-T. As always, these show notes are at justgogrind.com slash podcast, and you can support the show by leaving a rating and review over in Apple Podcasts. Without further ado, here is Zach Adamson, the founder of Divert Brands. Zach, welcome to the show. Thanks, man. Thanks for having me, Justin. Excited to be here. Yes, same. And talking about Divert Sessions and the company you're, you're running here, I'm so excited to, to chat about it. And for people who aren't familiar, what is it? What are you guys trying to do with Divert Sessions? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, the project, um, as I find with, you know, most founders has a has a person kind of like a very personal uh, origin. And so, um, you know, I when I was a kid, a little bit of a troublemaker, um, <laughs> myself in trouble, finding uh, finding ways to, um, you know, get, get almost kicked out of school and a variety of other things. Um, I had the fortunate sort of natural intervention of, uh, my family deciding to move from an ur- the urban area of Denver up into the mountains, um, yeah. where I was exposed to, you know, I still had this like rambunctious energy and I wanted to be rebellious and individual, but up in the mountains, the really the only way to do that is to like go snowboarding or mountain hiking <laughs> or whatever, right? And so I think I'm out there being rebellious, and I'm actually learning a lot of really valuable life lessons: resilience, motivation, individual creativity, all these things, and kind of flipped the switch on my life. Um, and uh, you know, ended up uh, graduating, just having a you know really positive adolescent career, um, and and going to uh, the University of Colorado at Boulder, where um, one of my professors had a provocation, which was, you know, think of a time that something had a positive impact on you. If, if more people could have it, uh, that'd be an interesting place for you to start a business. Um, uh, the, I think the provocation was twofold. One, um, entrepreneurship is really hard. And so it has to be personally meaningful to make it through yeah. all the trials and tribulations. And, um, and two, if it helps you solve a problem in your life, it could probably help others solve a problem in theirs as well. Um, and so, you know, the real core of Divert Sessions comes from uh, the awareness that I gained that I was very fortunate to have access to these opportunities um, and that the majority of the population does not have that luxury. And so, um, you know, uh, kind of just like taking that as an initial seed of an idea <laughs> in the college course. And expanding it over what was the next nine to 10 years of my career, um, which really was, uh, I, I ended up going and working for a boutique consulting firm. Think former Disney Imagineers, Universal execs, uh, these, these folks that had really, um, you know, kind of paved the way in, the, in this world of like experience design. And it really was founded in this, in this world of family entertainment. But they had kind of left their tenure at those organizations and said, what can we do in other industries that can help to recreate product businesses, service businesses to really fit in with the consumer desire for intentional experiences? Um, and so that was a great nine or 10 years of education <laughs> and opportunity working with Fortune 500 companies to middle market companies and everything in between um, and uh, and got to learn kind of the lessons of taking an idea from from new concept in terms of experience design through, um, you know, you know, budgeting, um, development, uh, marketing, I mean, all the different things that kind of the, the work touched. 
And um, after about nine years, uh, had a, had enough experience doing it for others. Um, and uh, one of my mentors just said, if you could apply this to something that you wanted to do, um, what would it be? And pulled that crazy idea that I had in college out of the back of my pocket um, and uh, just started getting to work on, on how we make kind of action sports and the, the cultural elements. And we, we, we kind of refer to it as the action sports lifestyle, but the cultural elements that surround it. So, you know, art and graphic design, uh, music production, uh, media, photography, videography, those types of things that really are just as important as the athlete that surround it. And so how do we make that experience um, accessible to urban populations? Because um, as it exists right now, there are just major barriers monetarily, geographically, and and big intimidation barriers. And so how do we create an experience that solves for all of those? Um, yeah, there's a lot, there's a lot to go through with that. And, and thinking through that, how are you thinking about what this might look like when you have that idea of, okay, we want, this is the kind of problem I want to uh, solve. So probably want to attack. how do you think through that? And okay, what should this actually look like in terms of what the, the product should be and everything like that? That is a, that is a, a great question. Um, and, you know, I was, uh, when I first came up with the concept, I was still working with these guys that are from Disney and Universal, um, and they think big, right? And they've got the budgets to support uh, in those previous organizations. And so I went into a design session with them. Uh, we went and we built, or we designed a <laughs> eight acre, you know, $80 million version of this thing, 11 stories, um, 11 story ski slope, big, huge wave pool, retail development, all this kind of stuff. Right. Um, and I would just say that, um, one of the most important things that I would hammer that I'm going to continue to hammer home through kind of throughout the message of, 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 of what I would like to deliver to any of those that are, that are on the journey of entrepreneurship, um, is the big vision is critical. And so always go and start and design out that envisioned ideal future. But then even more critical than that, come all the way back to where you are today and try and figure out what is the minimum viable version of this that really captures the essence of what I'm trying to produce in the world and eventually then scale my way to that big ideal dream. Right. And so yeah. that's kind of like how it, we, we, um, I went all the way out to that $80 million one. And that is still the desires to get to a regional size park where we have all these things in one place. Um, but at the end of the day, we had to come all the way back and, and think about, okay, in the world that we live in, $80 million concepts don't get funded without revenue, right? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> uh, difficult. <laughs> yeah, and so you really have to start to think about bringing your idea and how do you really boil it down to something that is attainable from an investment market um, to go out and test, make some mistakes, learn, iterate, so on and so forth. And, you know, a lot of this is um, is also informed in the work that I do in uh uh, that I, you know, that I do with uh, as a consultant in Nike's new business innovation lab. And so, um, you know, it's really about just like boiling it all the way down uh, to the core offering and the minimum viable experience and um, and then learning, uh, investing in the things that go well and continuing to scale until you can finally get to that $80 million dream. Right. Yeah, there's a lot of steps that go go into that and get into that big vision and having so many people on the show who have this kind of massive, massive vision for what their companies are going to be. And you can see where, oh, there's there's clearly a path to it. But to your point, like you have to start at the first version. What does that MVP actually look like? What is that first thing that you can use to test the concept, test the idea, and also gain some traction? Because then it is much easier to get more investors, more people on board, and they see, oh, yeah, one, you're serious about it, and two, it's actually getting attention and, and validating the initial idea you have for it as well, which is right. which is so important. At, at what point did you decide that you wanted to go the crowdfunding route? We have been we we had gone out to the uh, the financial market, uh, the general investment market, um, with the eighty million dollar concept and learned the lesson that that I just kind of relayed. <laughs> you know, no one yeah. is investing in an eighty million dollar concept. We then scaled it back to a permanent facility, um, which was an ask of around $5 million. Um, we actually had the majority of that project funded right before COVID. We had a, a capital stack that was kind of made up of 
um, an investment from a, a, a national REIT landlord. Um, you know, they would put in they would put in money to help build it out. Um, a, a debt lender and and a, and a little bit of equity in there. Um, and uh, and the 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 private lender that we had the agreement from um, was uh, specialized in travel, entertainment, and leisure. Um, and when COVID hit, <laughs> uh, <laughs> he basically was like. Look, I, I the only thing I see on the horizon for me is defaults, and so I I, I can't issue new loans right now. I I'm hoping that I'm going to have a company in a couple months, um, and so uh, you know with that, and also you know going and building an indoor experience in this environment didn't make a lot of sense either, and so um, kind of took that one to the chin. Uh, honestly, took a big deep breath and 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 put the project down for a couple weeks, um, and then came back to it and and realized that. Um, you know, outdoor recreation is, is one of the last uh, was one of the last things to get shut down if it even did get shut down in a lot of cities and states and was the first thing to become available again um, uh, when they did the shutdowns for COVID. And um, and we had sort of ideated on this like version of a temporary pop up version of this experience. Um, and uh, and so we kind of dust that dusted that off, um, put some numbers to it. And found that like we could we could likely go and finance this in a in a in a, in a way outside of the of the private investment market. You know, we had been in the um, in the in the invest like the typical investors pitching VCs doing all this stuff, um, and we I think we just knew that location based entertainment as a pitch right now to VCs is going to be a tough place. You know, they're, they're yeah. like holding on to the investments that they have, hoping that they do well. Um, and especially in the world of location-based entertainment. And so we knew we were going to probably fall flat going to them, but we did know that there was a lot of people sitting at home, you know, um, with kids running around the house, needing to get energy out, um, and, and, and wanting a little bit of a hope in terms of like, at some point we're going to return to normalcy and there's going to be really awesome things to do and a place where we can go and create and be a part of community and, and so, you know, that's really where, um, and, and not, even, I mean, even on top of that, um, you know, our entire mission is around um, inclusion and, and, and welcoming in uh, different, different, um, different pockets of the population to participate and gain opportunities that they haven't in the past. Another important kind of narrative that popped up in 2020 that we've been singing for the last five years, you know, and so... Um, and so with all of those kind of messaging things on our side, um, we just decided that we would want to, that we wanted to go and give it a shot. Um, and, and that we were, that we were pretty confident that we were positioned well. Um, we had some early stage kind of private investors that were going to help get us, get the raise kicked off in a big way. And, um, and, uh, and so, you know, all of those things kind of, kind of pushed us in this direction. And I have to say, um, while there is a little bit of a stigma around crowdfunded equity, uh, it is a, it is an unbelievable tool for funding new ideas. And I, I, I was I was unbelievably, I, I, you know, still unbelievably surprised at how um, at how supportive the general population is of innovation and new yeah. concepts and the and their desire and willingness to take risks on things that they are just finding out about, um, you know. Right now, I think probably more than half of the investors that have invested in our project are people that we don't know, um, and uh, and that is a that's a really you know it's a really validating thing for the concept, um, and it's just a you know it's a it's a really powerful way to um, to continue uh, in terms of like pushing new ideas and innovation. And I, well, I had my doubts about it. Um, I think most of those are pretty much quelled at this point. Um, yeah, yeah, it is. It is such a fascinating way to, to raise funding. And I, I'm very bullish on this concept after talking to other people who have raised through crowdfunding and seeing how it makes so much sense, especially a business model like, like yours. There's another one where we're at tree Fort music festival, them on, and like obviously music festivals are not happening right now. And you can see where the community they built up with having tens of thousands of people attend and clearly they're going to get investors for a lot of different companies. Like it seems like this just seems like a very clear way of going about it to get buy-in from people who want to participate anyways. Um, and, and one of the things I want to talk a little more about the details behind this, but one thing I, was, I want to go back to real quick, because I think it's important. 
COVID hits, uh, which is, uh, you know, decimates a lot of people in terms of their ideas and their companies and everything. You said you had a few weeks of break before you kind of, you know, got back to this. Were you thinking of quitting? What were your thoughts at that time for those few weeks after? <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, that's, uh, it was, uh, it was definitely an uncertain time. Um, you know, we put a lot of, a lot of time and energy and effort into it. Um, all to really kind of feel like it was, we're kind of back to square one. Um, and, and I think, you know, a lot of people, uh, no matter what your circumstances has, has felt some version of that. Um, I think what, I think there was a moment of like the, how long is this thing going to last? Is location-based entertainment ever going to come back to be a thing? Um, you know, is there what are we fighting for? Are we going to be wasting our time? All, I mean, all those, all those doubts that entrepreneurs have, right. And, and, and magnified by um, some validation from the outside world uh, saying, what are you, what are you doing? Just take it easy for a little bit. Um, And, uh, and, you know, I think it was, um, it was, you know, honestly, I think it was right around the, the stuff that happened with George Floyd and and kind of that movement around um, the the inequalities that exist in our society that was like a, a almost like a, a spark of man we can't sit on the sideline when we've got a platform that can help on on in, in providing these opportunities and 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 lev- and closing the opportunity gap like we can't just sit here and wait this out. And, and, um, and so, you know, there, 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 everyone experienced that roller coaster of emotions through, through all of those things and, 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 and the continued conversation that goes on around them. Um, But I would also just say that like, you know, hardship really breeds innovation. If you're, if you are, um, if you're, if you're bred and your mindset is in that, uh, is in that place. Right. So, um, uh, you know, difficulty and challenges and lack of resources and all of these things, um, actually end up being the, the key ingredients for true innovation. Um, and, uh, I think once we had kind of gotten over the sadness, um, had felt that kind of call to action and then reminded ourselves that this is the time, this is when entrepreneurs are called upon in society to do something great, um, then it seemed like a no-brainer, you know? Um, yeah. It, difficult to go through, though. And, and I, I'm, I'm always kind of fascinated about those moments because there are, if you look at it, there's so many people that would quit and would stop or would, you know, do something else. Or you see this happen where something happens where there's a huge you know, downturn in some capacity or some way for the business or they don't get funding. And I find it fascinating that some entrepreneurs, you know, you'd look at the fundraising and they may have spent nine months or 12 months trying to raise funding. And in my head, I'm like, well, what kept you going? And, and a lot of times it's just like there was no other option or it's like the mission that they're after, they they just keep going from that. And it doesn't always work out. Obviously, we, you know, there's a survivorship bias in terms of the media, in terms of what we hear about. A lot of these companies don't work out, but I think it's important for entrepreneurs to understand like kind of what you just said around if it's important, you see these things happening and you have a platform, it's almost like it's your duty to do it, <laughs> like to try at least and to see what happens. And going back to the campaign then, I know it did really well. I mean, you raised 500000 in the first 10 days. What about the prep beforehand helped you with, with that in terms of getting that raise? Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, and so we raised on uh, we raised on WeFunder. Um, you know, this is kind of our first time um, in 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 this game, and I think that's the I think that's kind of the the purpose of the platform is, is the majority of people are um, are first timers to the space. Uh, they did a really helpful job of just of just guiding us and giving us best practices. I will say um, we did a lot of preparation in terms of like what's our marketing strategy going to be, and what's our messaging, and what are all these different things, and what are the, you know, the um, dividing the personas um, of, of when we should be talking to people? And I, I can give you a little bit on that um, yeah. real briefly because I think that's important. Um, but I would say that what's funny is 
with all that planning, and I think every entrepreneur would tell you that this is how it goes. You're going to plan, you're going to plan, you're going to plan, and that plan is going to 99.9% of the time not going to be how it happens. <laughs> um, and, yeah. and that's just the nature of the beast. And I think you know, reacting to the things that are working when they're working is the key to ongoing innovation and success in business. Um, and so, and we got a, we got a taste of that on our campaign. So, you know, we had a, a big robust email drip campaign. We had accumulated about 4,500 emails um, in a network, in our, per, in our professional network over the last, you know, four or five years and the work that we'd been doing in this and in other things. Um, and, and it was funny because we, we had a lead investor um, who was going to come in in the first couple of days and put in, um, you know, $50,000 basically to help, get up, yeah. to help get us going and show some social proof and, hey, there's already backing here and there's momentum and all this stuff. Um, and then we were going to start uh, the, uh, the email drip campaign. But what we saw is before our lead investor even got in there, close friends of ours, um, other people that were in our network started putting money in before there was even that social proof. Um, and then what we did is, is, and I think one of the most powerful things was, um, these like basically just like appreciation posts, right? So you, we would, I would just screenshot the email that would confirm, that confirmed that someone was investing. I'd cover up the amount that they invested. So it, it, it didn't seem weird. Um, and just on our social channels, we just go and we thank everyone that did it. And it had this really positive net effect of, um, obviously how grateful we were for those investments, but then also other people in your network that knew who that was. And they're saying, Oh, well, they invested. <laughs> I could probably invest. Right. And, yeah. like, um, and, and so we got a lot of traction in that in the first two weeks. And that was, and that was just like a, Oh my goodness, we are like rolling on this and we haven't even, and we haven't even sent an email yet. Right. Jeez. Um, and so, you know, I think really in, in, in this circumstance, it's the, the thing that I've found that's so powerful about it is how public facing it is. Um, and, and that, that social proof and that, um, you know, that, that desire to not like, it's almost like the FOMO effect. It's got kind of a lot of those things, right? You don't, you see all these people that are, you know, you, you view as similar to you that are investing and, um, and you don't really want to miss the train. Uh, you obviously support the cause and you, and you, and you know, the founders, so you have some trust there. Um, but really that, that, like that, that public facing, um, element of it really makes it just like so, so powerful. Um, and so then, you know, we, we, we basically just nurtured that for the first two weeks when that started to kind of trickle off, then we hit the professional network. Um, with our email drip campaign, because, you know, they're really the ones that need to see major social proof there before they take action. Our close yeah. friends, family, and then also some, um, and then also some ancillaries around that um, uh, invested because of all the things I just mentioned. But those professional network folks really like to see um, that, uh, you know, that, that proof there before they take action. And so it was really helpful that we had some success in the beginning. And then when we went to our professional network, they were more likely to invest, um, because they saw that, um, they saw that proof. And then, then we ended up launching a, a digital ad campaign, which was, you know, just to on, on Instagram and Facebook and, and all of these types of things, um, just messaging around, kind of the success that we had had, uh, really honing in on the core value propositions of, um, of, you know, accessibility and opportunity and inclusion and, um, and, and, and all of those types of things. But, but really, I think the ones that performed the best still were the ones that uh, really focused on um, the, like the social proof and the success that the campaign had had and how others had taken action, you know, and um, yeah. And that's a big, I would say, a really important component to if you're thinking this this route. Yeah, I love those details. I think that's incredibly helpful for people who are gonna, you know, debating going through this and having some of the, like the screenshots and sharing that. Like that's people look at uh, growth look like viral loops and those types of things. I think that is a perfect example of something that could then go viral. They tell their friends and kind of it continues to snowball from there. And uh, that's why it's so helpful to hear these stories from people who are actually doing it. Uh, I think I think it's great. And one of the things I want to go back to real quick as well, because there are you know there's other crowdfunding platforms out there. How did you end up on WeFunder? 
Um, let's see. How did we end up on WeFunder? Um, we had looked at a variety of options. Um, uh, a couple that we weren't a good fit for and a couple that, you know, they weren't a good fit for us. Um, and just in terms of like how much they would take it, the, just the general, um, feeling of support or not support that we were getting, even in early conversations with them. Um, and, and, and others, you know, there was requirements that we didn't meet in terms of like annual revenue goals and all of those types of things. And so we funder, um, I mean, unbelievably supportive uh, in in terms of the the um, you know really the all the tools that they give you and the best practices, and they are um, you know they are I think more willing uh, to take chances with these early stage companies uh, than some of the other platforms are, and uh, because you know I think they've built a really strong um, base of uh, of investors. Uh, yeah. from all the campaigns that they've run and they support you in you know in the first couple of days if you reach certain milestones um they they run digital ads on your behalf so they're actually spending money on your behalf they've got like a, a 10 or twelve thousand person investor list they send direct emails to all these people about our project informing them and we see uh, additional investment from that all that stuff was happening in that first two weeks and so we were getting a lot of support from them support from our own network. Um, and, uh, and, you know, I mean, the, just in general, I, I it just, there was just a, a general sense of like, we fit in here versus like trying to make us fit into a, a <laughs> platform um, that we didn't really, and we were trying to, you know, whatever, just make a story up about what our business was doing to try and fit into their requirements um, and so on and so forth. And so I would just say that, um, in terms of, of, of support and, and just really feeling um, welcomed within their ecosystem. Uh, and, and it just felt like a, a good fit um, for, you know, kind of a new, we, we, we are like this, this actual facility is a new concept. We had yeah. some proof points in, you know, we've built, uh, we've built international skate parks and community centers that have, you know, hundreds of kids going to them every day. We had a, merchandise and apparel company to really validate the brand of divert and this messaging of achieve your impossible. Um, and that went really well. And so we had some success points, um, but year over year revenue, like wasn't really there because our goal was always to get to the facility. Um, yeah. and so they kind of saw the bigger picture with us and they said, get on here. We think we can help. We think your social mission and, um, these proof points and, all these other considerations uh, make you a really good fit for our community. So, yeah, it seems like that is the perfect fit for this type of thing in terms of crowdfunding. Other companies who are similar should definitely consider it just as an option. And and one of the things too, like you mentioned earlier in this interview of like the team, it seems like you have an incredible team of advisors and people on board. How have you gone about building that with such experience and everything as well to have people involved with uh, with divert sessions? Absolutely. Um, so fortunate for the for the people that have have come on board and, and supported, um, you know, I mean, for for years at this point, um, it's it's been a, it's been a true blessing. Um, you know, I think for us, uh, the, the the most important thing from day one baked into the very DNA of the company um, is, you know, a social mission, although we are a for profit company. You know, I think you'll start and you probably already have in these podcasts um, started to see that um, social uh, social and financial impact uh, kind of go hand in hand in today's world. Yeah. And um, and uh, and so, you know, we really had baked in to everything that we did um, this 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 idea of accessibility and opportunity and closing the opportunity gap and um, and and making these sports more socially equitable, financially equitable, all of those types of things. Um, and I think what you find uh, when you go and you and you you know try and knock down doors of um, of, of big time leaders uh, at organizations is um, they're missing a little bit of that in their work and in their life. Right. Um, yeah. And uh, and they um, have likely done really well financially in their career. 
but they may be missing. And, uh, you know, I think it's also just human nature to want to feel like your, 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 your time on this, uh, in this experience called life um, was, was, you know, at least in part done doing something um, good for, for yourself and for others. And, um, and so I would just say that we were fortunate that that was kind of baked into our DNA because I think that was the, that was the big thing that attracted a lot of people to it. Um, you know, obviously, uh, we, we had a, a solid plan and, um, and it's an exciting project <laughs> in sports in general is, is yeah. definitely kind of like a, a fun, exciting, um, industry. There's, you know, there's a lot of uh, excitement coming with it, uh, with the Olympics and the induction of skateboarding and surfing and BMX this summer and, you know, snowboarding and skiing being the most watched, uh, winter Olympic sports and all that. And so there, there's definite interest and it's an exciting place to be. Um, and so then, but then when you really add in that, like, if I, if I dedicate my time to this project, if it goes absolutely nowhere, and if it, um, you know, and it, and it doesn't perform like we hope and, and all of that, my time was not wasted because my time was put towards something um, that, that still, even, uh, even prior to the facility being open, we run a bunch of, of programs and initiatives and educational stuff and all that stuff. Um, it was put towards something uh, that is more important than money. Right. Um, and, and I, and, and so that has really kind of been the, um, you know, a, a big component for, for how we've been able to attract, you know, the former COO from Topgolf and, um, you know, former director of operations from Universal. Uh, I mean, we're just, we're just very, very blessed from, uh, from the, from the team perspective for those that have, um, you know, joined us. And, and really what it is, is, is they feel that their contribution um, is, uh, is, is, is a little bit of a, a life purpose. Right. Yeah. And and to your point, I definitely am realizing that and seeing that for more and more entrepreneurs having this kind of mission, mission within their company. And I, I gravitate towards that myself in terms of wanting to talk to more people that are doing that, because if there can be a combination of, yeah, you're making money supporting, which is great. And then also making an impact. I think it's, there's nothing better really in terms of that. One quick thing that I I just want to go over because I haven't seen this before, actually, uh, in terms of setting up your, your refunder and the actual kind of investment structure of it, how did you decide on the, the revenue participation agreement? Yeah. So, um, it's, a it is definitely like a, a little bit of, a um, you know, interesting structure on the term side, but it fits really well with the intent of the pop-up. So um, just to speak to it, it, the the terms will make sense with understanding kind of the future vision as well. Yeah. So, you know, obviously we pivoted from a permanent facility to this temporary one because of COVID. It's an outdoor experience. It's safer. It's, you know, it's, it's, it's actually, a, a, it's actually designed to support six foot social distancing and operate even in the um, in the restrictions that we're in right now. Um, but, uh, but you know, the idea is that this is really going to help us to validate the Los Angeles market as a market that will support, um, a, a divert sessions facility. The idea is then to say, okay, we validated this one and we're going to build a permanent facility here in Los Angeles. Now, now let's take the pop-up and let's go put it in Austin or in Denver yeah. or whatever, and validate that market before making the, you know, the five to $10 million investment in a, in a, in a permanent build. Um, and, uh, and so the, the way that the terms kind of roll out to support that is, uh, the idea is that this, this is a temporary build, right? And so, um, we were working with the lawyers and, and we were trying to think about the best way to do it. And, 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 and he suggested, you know, it's kind of like a movie where, you know, you're going to have this time where it's going to run and then there's going to be kind of this like ending event. And, um, and those that invested are going to want to get paid out from the proceeds that had happened during the, during that run. Um, and so basically the way that we structured it was, um, with, with, with this kind of finite time in, in mind where it's, you know, most, most deal structures are structured as like a, a recurring revenue. And then you set a valuation and then you get a, and then you get, um, you know, your pro rata share of that valuation based on how yeah. much you invested. Well, because ours is finite, it doesn't really work that well in that ecosystem. And so we, um, we, uh, we basically said, over the lifetime of the project, um, all investors will get paid back first from all proceeds. 
um, until they are 100% paid back on their investment plus a 10% premium. Um, and that's just, I mean, your guys are showing up, but we want to try and guarantee as close as we can, you know, obviously no investments have any guarantees, but we want right. to guarantee as much as we can that you're going to make a return on this. And so you're going to get hundred percent back and then you're going to get a 10% premium. And then because we're partners in this now, um, we will split the remaining proceeds and profits 50, 50, 50% will go to the company, um, divert and the other 50% will be split amongst the investor pool based on their pro rata ownership. Um, and then what, what will happen is, um, you know, if they get paid back 110% of their investment or 110% plus some of those proceeds, they'll be able to take that, the value that they have gotten from that, uh, from that investment, and they will be able to convert it into the company at a 15% discount um, uh, on the next valuation, similar to a convertible note. And so like, yeah. you know, that then, then it starts because then at that point we would use those proceeds to either go um, create another pop-up if we're still in the, in the, in the world where an outdoor experience and pop-up makes the most sense or put it towards uh, building a permanent facility. Either way, now we're making year over year revenue and we're, and we're, and we're starting to scale and grow. And that's where now we can put a valuation on the company and, um, and you can convert that. You can take that money out if you want and you can say, cool, I made my, I made my money and I'm out and I'm going to go. And that's kind of your option. Um, but if you decide to, uh, convert it and keep it in the company, uh, you get a 15% discount similar to like a convertible note on the, uh, on the next financing round. That's super helpful because I think for WeFunder and other crowdfunding platforms, it's, it's good to know that as a business itself, you have flexibility in terms of your terms. Like you can set up the terms however you want, basically. Uh, and I have, I've interviewed a number of people now and most of them are straight equity. Um, but it, it is nice to have like a different model that just makes sense for your business and for people to understand if you want to grow, go this kind of crowdfunding route, you have a lot of flexibility within it. Obviously it's finding whatever makes sense for you. And on that note of, you know, starting in Los Angeles, but then in terms of markets themselves, like how are you approaching new markets? What you, where you look at for like potential new markets for divert sessions? Totally. Yeah. Um, really important. And we've looked at it and we've looked at a number of them. Um, there, there's some, there are definitely some important factors, uh, that we look at, you know, I think, um, Los Angeles was really intriguing to us because it has the largest existing action sports market, um, in terms of participants. And so, you know, coming out the gate, we would have people that would likely show up and pay. Um, yeah. And, and that it, it, it's also really interesting because while there are the most participants here, um, there's also a massive population, even though there's surfing and there's snowboarding and there's skateboarding everywhere um, that still don't have any, that don't, don't feel welcomed and haven't had the opportunity to come to Los, uh, to, to, to like really get involved in action sports and the surrounding lifestyle. Um, and so, you know, it's a really great, it's a really great market to launch in. And that's one thing that we look for, um, in the, in these earlier stage ones where we don't have like the national recognition yet, or that brand awareness, or, you know, people kind of talking about us uh, across social platforms across the country. And, and there's not that yet, there's not yet that excitement that like diverts coming to my town and I can't wait to try it. Um, we, we really want to kind of safeguard ourselves in places that have that initial, um, that initial baked in, um, uh, audience. Uh, but then there's also what you'll find is in those cities, there's a, there's a ring right outside of those that participate because they are close to being able to participate. They're really highly interested in it. Um, but they just haven't had the opportunity to do it. Right. And so, um, and so you look at markets like, uh, like Los Angeles, uh, you look at markets like Chicago where, um, you know, they've got, um, They've got a uh, trash dump hills that you can snowboard on, um, but yeah. that's their experience. Yeah. There are people that surf in Lake Michigan in the middle of winter, and but but that's but that's their that's the that's the extent of it, right? Um, it's got a really big skate scene, and so we look for markets that obviously have like that kind of built-in action sports base. So then inherently they have that second ring out of people that are adjacent to it but have never participated in it. 
Um, you know, and then we start to look at factors like how active are the cities that we're going into. Obviously, those that have an affinity for um, for being active are going to be a little bit more likely to come to a place like this. Um, those that have uh, entertainment as a um, as a foundation in their um, in their market uh, are important because um, you know people are already spending uh, their disposable income on things like this um, and. Uh, and then, um, and then, you know, just kind of in general, like, um, uh, we are really focused on bringing these to, to urban populations at this point. Um, and yeah. so, and so it's really a focus currently around bringing it to, uh, to, to, to larger cities that have both sort of the affluent community and the underserved community, both of which can benefit from this type of an offering. Um, and, uh, and, and, you know, just really start to be that comfortable on-ramp to being able to participate in things like skiing and snowboarding, surfing, boogie boarding, skateboarding and scootering, um, and then all those kind of creative lifestyles that I mentioned earlier. And, um, and, and, uh, and so, yeah, that's, that's really where our brand and, you know, you can kind of get a feel from the brand that we've designed it to be an urban brand. And so um, we, we kind of find our home in places like that. A lot of places that have um, creativity and artistic initiatives from the city perspective, you know, places like Austin, like Denver, Chicago, uh, Atlanta, Philadelphia. Those are some that are on our list. Miami. Um, those are, those are, um, definitely some focal points, uh, in terms of, um, the expansion strategy for us. Yeah. And then going to the, the actual attraction itself, I mean, there's, there's six key attractions. How have you uh, decided on what these kind of will consist of and like t take us through like the product itself in terms of what the experience would be like? Sure. Yeah. Happy to. Um, I think for us, uh, going back to a similar point, like we, we have intentionally selected, uh, the action sports, at least to start. And, and, you know, we really view this brand as kind of action sports agnostic and that it can expand to, mountain biking and dirt biking and rock climbing and all the other things. Um, but we really selected the sports intentionally, um, basically by the ones that have been validated in the mainstream marketplace by their induction into the Olympics. Right. Um, yeah. and because that really signals like a long time stay and the IOC doing millions of dollars of research to find out what are the next generation going to care about and tune into? What are the sports that are really going to capture their imaginations and their hearts? Um, and they put their money on action sports, right? Which means it's going to stay and it's going to be in the mainstay of our lives for a long time to come. But there isn't that facility infrastructure that supports it, like track and field or football or basketball. And so there's a huge gap in the market. And so we really focused on those sports that are about to experience a massive spike in interest, but still be met with those same barriers to participation that have always exist. They're expensive. They're far away from urban areas and maybe yeah. intimidating, right? Like you go out in the lineup when you're surfing and you're going to get barked at, you're going to get run over. <laughs> park, you know, like That's just kind of the, how they, how they've existed and all those things are solvable. And so um, really focusing on the ones where we're going to have a lot of support already in terms of interest and marketing um, from the marketing specifically that's going to happen starting in March when we're looking to launch of surfing and skateboarding and BMX being inducted in the Olympics. Now this is kind of in your, in your mainstay media um, and, and sort of validated in the perspective of the mom or the dad or whoever's paying for the sessions that like, this isn't just, I'm dropping my kid off at the skate park I hope he comes back with all his bones and he's not. <laughs> right. Like, yeah. Um, it's, it, 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 you know, the, for a while and there's still, I'm sure a lot of it out there, but action sports have been viewed as sort of pseudo criminal. And I think this really helps to transition them um, in the minds of the general consumer. And so starting with those as like the, the, the core and those are the core kind of action sports where the entire industry was kind of seeded from. Um, and so uh and it really just helps, you know, not to mention those are all the things that we as founders have participated in our entire life. <laughs> yeah, right. That's helpful. <laughs> so, that's, a, that's a little side note. And they're the ones. You're a company. Are, you get to choose. I mean, yeah. <laughs> like, what would I build? There's a little bit of that. But like, even more importantly, it's been validated from a, from a market perspective in a huge way. And, and we see that 
that there's a huge just desire and need um, and, and, and an unmet need in the market that's about to just have kind of gas thrown on it with the, with the, with the induction into the Olympics, but no real solution as to how to solve that, that gap between interest and participation. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and so obviously the you guys are going to be helping with that in terms of how this grows and a mixture of these kind of permanent facilities as you have validation and then pop-ups as you kind of move from one market to the next. One of the things that I found interesting when just kind of doing a little research is the idea of kind of, you know, revitalizing distressed real estate and turning that into interesting opportunities. How are you looking at that or what are your plans or even just thoughts around kind of doing that as well? Of course. Yeah, it's core, um, core, another kind of part of our mission, you know, I think, um, uh, Amazon and just in general, digital marketplaces, um, online shopping, all that stuff has, has had unbelievably positive effects, um, and has also left sort of vacuums in communities in terms of, um, you know, empty malls and, um, loss of jobs and a variety of other, I mean, mom and pop shops trying to compete, right? There's yeah. a lot of that that is that has taken place. And, and really what's happened is it's, um, you know, I, malls used to be the place to hang out because it was the place to go and do things. And it's just, they, they're just relatively empty these days. Um, you know, I, I don't know the last time you've been to a mall, but <laughs> the majority of people that I ask, it's been a while. Been a while, yeah. Exactly, and so, um, and so there is a there is a big opportunity to to look to revitalize those, um, not just revitalize the assets like the, the the physical real estate assets, but also kind of the community that surrounds it, right? And and bringing back jobs to those communities um, that are exciting and uh, and and provide um, career opportunities and education and all of these different things, um, and so. You know, when we, uh, you know, we've on the on the on the permanent build that we were about to build, it was um, it was it was in Philadelphia, um, and and uh, it was at a you know sort of a distressed mall asset, and um, and that will be our strategy kind of going forward. A lot of these malls are really well located uh, within urban areas, um, but people just don't necessarily feel the need to even go to the mall to buy things anymore. However, the thing that they do um, that they that has been proven that they will get up and go uh, to a mall for is location based entertainment as a yeah. um, as a as a category, right? And so these landlords are really looking at a couple of different things, you know, potentially logistics for Amazon. I think that's a bad move because that's just a nightmare with trucks running in and out of the mall. <laughs> um, but uh, but healthcare. Um, some of the shared working space uh, is another solution. And I think the most important one for them is location-based entertainment. We really um, look to kind of position ourselves as, a, um, as an opportunity to help bring traffic, help bring people out of their houses, hopefully get them off their phones for a little bit, um, doing a positive, uh, a positive activity with their family, uh, making memories, uh, so on and so forth. And then obviously creating jobs and sort of repurposing those, those dead zones um, that, are, that, are, that are rampant across the country um, so that people have a place to gather and, and find community again. Because that's really what a mall served um, in, a, in a sort of as a, an ancillary benefit was it was just a place to hang out, have events, create community. Um, you know, we're obviously limited for now in, in, in gathering and all that kind of stuff. But, um, but when, that, when all of those restrictions are, are, are gone, there's going to be a surge in desire to connect and, um, and find community and, uh, and location-based entertainment will really be the heartbeat of, um, of those new, of those kind of existing mall assets and, and, and how they, um, they can be revitalized, uh, yeah. yeah, I think in moving forward too, I just think there's going to be such a huge desire to have some in-person things. And you can make the argument that, okay, well, people are going to be more concerned with COVID, but eventually like we still are humans. When you want that human interaction at the end of the day, I mean, that, that seems like a kind of a no brainer where they're going to want the experiences and like, I'm excited to have like normal-ish, uh, you know, in-person experiences and fun things to do. And then it'll come back again. And I think you guys will be you know, well positioned, assuming all goes well in kind of the meantime. And, and where can people go to learn more about all the things you're working on? 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, our our kind of home base page. Uh, if you want to learn about the the most um, you know uh, like prevalent project that we're working on right now, Divert Sessions, the one that we've really been focused on in the um, in the interview today, uh, you can go to the campaign page, which is uh, www.wefunder.com uh, backslash divert d i v e r t. Uh, that's really going to give you the background on. You know, the des- it'll have the um, the designs, like the the design renders. Um, you know, a lot of the statistics around what's happening in the action sports market. Details on the team that we kind of touched on today. Um, the mission. Uh, you'll be able to see all the support we've gotten. Um, you're able to actually still go on there and invest if it sounds like a project that you're interested in. Um, and so that's really like the the focal point of the activity that we're taking on right now at Divert. Um, and, uh, and then if you want to find out in general, um, information about Divert, um, our, our kind of, uh, parent company, uh, website, www.divertbrands.com. Um, you know, that's where it, it'll, it'll talk about Divert sessions. Um, it'll talk about some of our other offerings, uh, in terms of the, um, you know, the different scales that this thing can exist on. Uh, from the permanent facility to the the the, uh, the, um, the temporary version that we're talking about, all the way up to Divert City, which is like the eight acre version. Um, and then we also do uh, we do consulting work um, for others that are looking to build action sports parks. And so you'll see some information about the services that we offer around design and financing and development and operations management um, for uh, for some of those as well. And so. Um, yeah, those are uh, those are two great places to go check us out. That's awesome. Very excited for you. And hell, I'm. it's going to be a lot that's going to be happening in the next uh, year or so. And then even through your launch coming up uh, and then even finishing up this, this fundraising campaign. So lots of exciting things. But Zach, thank you so much for taking the time to come on the show today. Justin, I appreciate it, man. Great questions. Um, I love what you're doing. So happy to share uh, as much as I can. You know, I think our our mission is always to um, provide an opportunity, provide opportunity and education so that people can go live the best life that they can. And so I'm super happy to share secrets and you know, they don't need to be secrets. Um, (laughs) happy to, I'm happy to, uh, let people know, um, what's worked for us and just as importantly, what hasn't. So. Absolutely. Thank you for listening to this episode of just go grind. I really appreciate you taking the time to listen. The Weekly Grind, which is my weekly newsletter, comes out every single Friday. You can find it at justgogrind.com slash newsletter. This is filled with tips, tools, and strategies for growing your business. If you want to know how to launch a business, how to grow it, how to get it off the ground, find employees, all these different things. There's a few tips, tools, and strategies every single week I deliver right to you. Justgogrind.com slash newsletter. Check it out. Thank you so much for listening. Talk to you in the next episode.